This is a very special episode、um, of this podcast because I am not in Melbourne. I am in Venice.、Um, that's thanks for Linden New Art Prize.、Um, I won earlier this year, so I got a bit of prize money, and、um, so that's、um, I decided to come to visit Venice Biennale as.、Um, Sort of my、um, mentoring or studying opportunities, and、uh, luckily、um, I'm not here alone.、Um, I run into a few actually、um, Australian artist friends, so which is make a perfect opportunity to do a podcast to talk about、um, the exhibition we see、um, in Venice Biennale. We have、um, Ashley Perry and Kate Davis.、Um, Nice to see you again, Venice. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say both of you um、uh, had um spoke to discuss it in previous episode of Three Belly Buttons. It、hey. was a while ago. Yeah, I don't know if people listen um to this podcast earlier, but um if they do um you know you probably already familiar with Ash and Kate um but if you don't um I'll get them to introduce themselves. Again. <laughs> sure.、Um, so yeah, I'm Ashley.、Um, I think I did the second or third podcast.、Um, I'm a visual artist and kind of arts worker from Melbourne.、Um, I do a lot of sculpture and new media kind of work, and currently work on my MFA. I'm Kate, and I can't quite remember which episode I was on. That's okay. <laughs> and I'm an artist and a curator based previously in Melbourne. I Um, just got a job at Ararat Gallery Tamil, so I'm now running a regional gallery, which is very exciting. And I'm here in Venice as an exhibition team leader for Angelica Masiti's exhibition Assembly in the in the Australian Pavilion.、Um, it was really nice to run into Kate when we visited Jardini. Familiar faces, home.、Um, welcome you both. Thanks Thank you.、Um, for talk at、um, Three Five Buttons again. I have a a new friend I met <laughs> in Venice,、um, and his name is Ramo、um, Zaral.、Uh, my name is Ramo. I am from Morocco. I live in Paris for the last ten years.、Uh, I am an installation artist, and I also work in a shop. I'm usually late and embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I think、um, everyone working in retail has some kind of experiences.、Um, welcome. I'm、yeah. here because I work in a French pavilion as、um, somebody who's helping and talk about the work and give people tours and because I was also involved in the work that's. Somehow he's being very <laughs> modest, but he is one of the performers or actors, actor or performer. I think for me, it's just more a presence. Okay, a、yeah. presence in the work itself. Wow,、so, yeah. fantastic! Yeah. And we have other people who are actually performing. Yeah, yeah, the voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely have to talk about that.、Um, your experiences. Um, there's a so many shows. Um, yeah, um, I think I would.、Uh, the best way to talk about it is uh to pick some highlights, I reckon, and um maybe we can start with the main exhibition. 
um, this year, um, the title of the exhibition is May You Live In Interesting Time. Uh, what I mean, the main exhibition is the, the, the curated uh, exhibitions. The exhibition take a place in both sides, which uh, one is in Jardini, one is in Arsenali. Um, so I think what's interesting is, so um, Raf Rugoff, the curator, I'm pretty yes. sure that's how you say his name. Yes. Instead of having different artists in each side, he chose a core group of artists mm. and they have a work in each venue. Yeah. So you'd think technically that should reduce your sort of... Um, the way that seeing so many works can make you feel completely overwhelmed. I expected the fact that they were the same artists mm-hmm. to mean that I wasn't overwhelmed. Mm. But regardless, it was still a complete... <laughs> yeah. Because I think in each side, they sh- the same artists show different works. Mm. Um, so you don't, yeah, you don't really see repeat um, artworks. Um, yeah, matter of fact, sometimes, you know, um, when I um, see the artist's uh, works in one site and then I started try to think what work this artist showed the other side. So actually quite mentally, quite exhausting yes. in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and oh my god, so many, so many works in one rooms and this many rooms. Um, what, what do you think of overall experiences seeing these two shows or one showing two sides? They were completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they had the same core group of artists, they felt completely different. Mm-hmm. The arsenale, the nature of the venue. Um, as having a previous home to ships was sort of embraced and it was a bit more, you know, there was wood and they utilised the existing um, building and it had a more integrated display Mm. and somehow it was very comfortable. Even those parts of it I found claustrophobic. When I first walked in, I found it claustrophobic Mm. because there was all these structures that sort of restricted you mm. but then as I got through that I started to like it mm. whereas in the um, Giardini it felt very much like a white cube it yeah. felt like an institution that could have been anywhere in the world yeah and somehow it was so bright mm. that it was almost yeah, I found it hard to appreciate the works. Mm. I've much preferred the Arsenale. Mm. What do you think, Ash? I think for me, the Arsenale is such an interesting venue because it has that like such a linear progression yes. through the exhibition. So you're kind of experiencing a work, and then maybe you can backtrack to the other side of some kind of the you know where you corrals. are. Yeah, you know where you are and where you are relative within the exhibition. How far, maybe to the end or from the start. Um, the GD is such an interesting space because like it's, it's almost like um, maze kind of like yeah. <clears throat> and for me I thought that space for me was a little bit more interesting because it kind of built the connections ah. between the works in between them a bit yeah. more interestingly for me um, I also was interested in the scale of both the spaces 
that the Arsenal seemed to have like a lot more large scale installations that seemed like the things you would only see in like a Venice Biennale or mm. kind of Biennale thing where the scale of the works in the Giardini seemed very much like a museum that could be anywhere in the world and um, they felt more like rule, like relatable I think in terms of um, mm. that yeah I think the scale things also relate to what you just said the the architectural space is so it's quite distinct between the two the um, Arsenale one it feel like that they have really high ceiling like a very industrial sort of warehouse space you somehow you feel things actually bigger like you feel like um, the the scale somehow is you know huge in that space but yeah like Giardini I think itself is like a white box so even large um, work you feel smaller confined yeah um yeah i feel the same when you walk into the arsenales the wall is so raw timber wall there's no paint no it was really raw sort of style install i think that was kind of a, a trend at the moment um in art and i didn't really make much impression on that i was like oh okay um but then the entrance is underwhelming yeah well it just that kind of in the anti white box, let's just do raw, you know. Mm. Um, and um, but then I guess that fit into that warehouse, that kind of um, environment. Um, well, Giardini is all white painted, you know, walls and boxes, and you don't really see much raw materials um, in that space. I guess that's kind of again give you those quite um, different experiences, viewing experiencing the two spaces. Mm. My critique of that is I feel like maybe you can't avoid that just because nature for so many artists in one show, in one site. I feel like they're so jammed to each other. It's just like in one room, there's like three or four artworks inside. There's definitely this one video work amount, there's one or three artist works. So you just kind of each some works works but some works i feel like i need more spaces and in that particular environment i feel like it'd be unfair for the artwork to become yeah. less appreciated in that space um and lots of work is just um quite often to get ignored or skipped you know but when you when you imagine that works show as it own in one space it can be completely different rating experiences and maybe you push more my favorite moment in um the giardini curated exhibition in centrale was when um there are is one artist's work who is displayed through a window and actually on the canal her name is zana sorry i'm gonna say this wrong caddy rover and so they're these texts, they're like garments, they look like garments, but they're made out of tiles, ceramic mm. tiles, and they're sort of hanging inside. And then I think a lot of people might miss it, but I'd actually noticed from eating my lunch outside, <laughs> there are some hanging on the pier. Yeah. And so for me, when I was within this, you know, white cube with works really mm. closely placed with next to one another and feeling a bit overwhelmed I also was lost mm. I looked out there and I was like oh, you know yeah. it's so nice to see one work yeah outside of the cube 
Mm, yeah, yeah. And I guess there were also, there are works throughout the Giardini. Mm. They're not all within the Centrale, but... Mm. Yeah. Maybe there are five works within the Giardini. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. same for the Arsenale as well. There's a number of works that are outside, yeah. kind of in the garden section that's actually just open to the public. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so do you have any highlights in this show? Yeah. Um, excuse my pronunciation as well. <laughs> um, Lawrence Abu Kadem. He had works in both the Arsenale and Giardini. I thought it was really interesting because both of them were drastically different and dress quite different things. So the work in the Arsenale addressed um, a specific event in on the border of Israel. Maybe you mm. first part out. Yeah, on the border of Israel and like a pol- particular pati- uh, political event that happened. Mm. Um, but then the work in the Giardini was quite like a sort of poetic kind of examination of sound and what sound is relative to barriers. Mm. Um, and so it was kind of this video installation that sort of tracked around this film, like um, audio studio with one performer kind of reading out these dialogues around different events relating to sound and how it penetrates walls or how walls can prevent certain things from occurring. So the work kind of addressed like the Berlin Wall, it addressed um, um, some prisons mm-hmm. um, that I'm pretty sure the exact same recording studio that they're in and when that was kind of realised. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a really interesting work, it had like, an interesting kind of pacing and mm-hmm. rhythm to it and the information that was kind of presented in it was quite interesting. And I thought it was a, like a good contrast to the work that was shown in the Arsenale. What, what's in Arsenale, just particularly these events? Yeah. Events. Yeah. It, it's across multiple screens. And yeah, it's a square one. Screens yeah. on the yeah. Yeah, like, square screens, and um, it's sort of. It's quite impressive screen actually. I never seen such square, perfect yeah. square screens, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, just pointed out. I was there for watch that video work. It's quite long, isn't it? How do you know how long in total? Maybe. 25 minutes I'd guess somewhere around there yeah um I only stayed for a little bit but the um it's quite um narrative driven Mm. um he was described this events which is related to this war structure which is about this um crime incident Mm. um described this woman was uh, shouting yeah attacked was it um the South African runner, so that was that particular event, and so when he shot his partner through the door, oh, um, Pistorius, yeah, mm. and um, yeah. yeah, so and it kind of described the court case where they're investigating whether he had any chance of hearing her through the wall, through the wall, yeah. And they in the court case, like so, they addressed this in the video that um, yeah. there was a hole which would have meant that it would have sort of amplified her voice into that space, so there was kind of. Yeah. No reason why he couldn't have understood that it was her on the outside. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very great example to talk about wars. And then the um, uh, there is I remember on the screen was showing he was in the recording studio sort of talk about this mm. content and um, there's a layers like a light sort of graphic animation showing this like almost demonstrate that penetration of the sounds through the wall mm. remember that um and i find that's also interesting that um give you sort of um visual understanding on what he was talking about yeah um yeah and mm. i think that's a very um beautiful uh way of talk about wars because mm. i just mm, 
you know, you've seen so many works previously talk about bowling wars as a very literal, mm-hmm. and I, I like it that, you know, threading all different this news, mm-hmm. current fair events mm-hmm. um, relate to this idea for wars and, yeah. Yeah, and because, like, the studio which they're recording as well is, I think, a studio which was developed in the 1920s or 1930s for radio productions mm. and it kind of describes um, all the different things that those studios could do in terms of having movable walls that would change the acoustics to make it sound like it's inside or outside yeah. and during throughout the whole production of that as the performers moving from studio to studio to kind of give each dialogue there's also assistants who are kind of doing that to the space and they're bringing mm. new boards in or kind of building structures around him that kind of changed the audio as well. Yeah. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Um, which country this artist come from? Uh, I think he's Lebanese, but I'm not sure where he's based. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'll check the facts later. Um, I'm going to talk about the work I really utterly enjoyed um, in both sides, which is by artist um, Khalel Joseph. Um, as a he is United States artist. Um, his work called um, Black News. It's actually it's the same work he's showing both sides. Um, uh, basically, the work is the two channel, two channel screen video works, um, display in two small um, TV monitors. It's installation. So two monitors was fixed on the wall and. Um, behind the monitor is huge um, wallpaper. Um, uh, the images of wallpaper is different in different sites, but they're all black people portraits, um, group portraits. Both, both of them uh, look like old photographs. Um, and one uh, showing uh, black nuns, that's kind of like a group photos. Another one is black soldiers. And then the soldier uniform sort of, I think it was a reference to their independence war, um, very, that kind of era sort of um, uniform. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but that kind of, um, I don't think there's much text information about that. Um, so, so, so you immediately kind of know framework of what this work might about. And then in front, so the video work is showing it's very complex and multi-layers uh, narratives. Um, uh, made of um, fund footages on YouTube, on um, Instagrams, um, and um, also uh, studio interviews on experts um, on black uh, matters, um, race um, issues, and um, and also news about sort of black communities um, in America, uh, uh, and. And also music views, so it's it's almost like uh, I guess um, imitate how nowadays you watch TV, um, that kind of experiences, and um, lots lots of content, and uh, since um, disparate information all sh- um, flash on the TVs, mm. you have to choose which one to read. He actually also um, interweaved a bit of climate. Because the whole video work are presented as like news, so they have like a little underscoring text uh, against other footage, so that the some text was talking about climate um, change in some sort of um, like a weather report or some uh, natural disaster, and so that's yeah. As I said, it's like very um, 
complex structure, but somehow you can follow it because we're so used to uh, watching those kind of uh, content on TV.、Mm. Um, and it delights to see how he grouped them together. Sort of, you you emotionally just completely. Um, dictated by the footage, you know, music and lighting up, and then you see this cute family, you、mm. know, are very lighted up again, and then again there was like full on, you know, incident and、um, police shooting black, and、yeah. it just kind of, I come, you know,、um, I just feel like I couldn't leave the seats,、mm. just like constantly jaw, what's next, what's next? I guess that's like TV experience as well, like just. Just waiting for next, and it it, it plays so fast. In it's very fast, you know,、mm. a pace and playing all those、um, footages. Yeah. yeah, really, I really really enjoyed that work as well, and、mm. it had that kind of interesting pull between like the aesthetics of TV and that news kind of thing, but also of the internet.、Mm. So when I was、yeah. in there, there was、um, a footage of I think it was like named like the one good news story of today. Mm. And it was footage of a person of color, like a little girl,、um, who <clears throat> had been an amputee, and she just got a new leg, and it was about her first day back at school with her new leg, and meeting all the students with like her new leg, and it was quite interesting because that felt like a very clickbaity kind、mm. of thing you might see in your Facebook feed, but then. Yeah, thinking about that, what that means, like on a news kind of platform, and then it then cuts to like a theorist talking about identity politics and、yeah. kind of it was yeah. really yeah, it's really very diverse. Yeah, um, actually, yeah. I did a little Google on him. He also called he also have another name called、uh, Kalau Davis. I got a feeling from the contents I read from the internet, I feel like. Um, he's quite famous in USA, and he also make music videos.、Mm. So it kind of makes sense, sort of,、um, for the videos he makes.、Mm. You know, like I, I, I suddenly realized, yeah, it does like the rhythm of、mm. how he montage all the little、uh, film clips and things. It does like reference to this、uh, video. Um, music videos,、um, sort of、uh, pace and rhythm is maybe for me the、mm. most prominent theme throughout the curated exhibitions and the pavilions as well.、Mm. Yeah, Ramo, what what do you think of the overview、um, of the curated show? Uh, well, I I am quite impressed with what's shown,、mm. uh, but I don't know if it's in a positive or in a negative way. But it definitely changed my view of the contemporary art world.、Mm. It's my first time in the Biennale,、mm. and I always had this idea of it as a major event of the contemporary art world. And I always thought that everybody, when they're chosen to represent their country in such a big event, they would really push. Everything they could do,、mm. and I think with most of the pavilions, some I really like, and some it's really good work, you know. And I'm not an art critic, but、uh, I, I I feel like people could have done more, you know.、Mm. And I feel some of the artists are a bit entitled, like okay, <laughs> Biennale, okay, I'm just gonna do, it, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's one of my projects. Yeah, yeah. But maybe because I'm new and young, and for me it's just like that big, and the artists who are on that level actually don't really care that much. Yeah. That impression that I had constantly on it, and I'm, you know, because some、When、of the work is good, but I'm like, you could have done more. This is the Biennale. <laughs> I found it really interesting. I don't know how much artists 
um, has control on the final displayment. Lots of people has their hands on what the show um, look like. Yeah. Um, there's a funding body and there's curator. Uh, the final exhibitions uh, is heavily influenced all sorts of different um, voices. So it might not be um, the it's completely one hundred percent the product uh, of the circumstances. The artist's yeah. intention. So it's hard to know. You know, everyone sort of talk about Venice Benali like Olympic Games in art. You know, um, each um, country, uh, you know, have a pavilion. Pavilion supposed to represent your country. It's a very national. Uh, nationalist idea driven sort of kind of events and then the show only show one aspect of art in this country I don't know the purpose like sort of showing I guess you know if Olympic uh, team trying to show how strong your people are like in this country are uh, uh, maybe art will just like how strong art um, sort of industry in this country are is kind of it definitely has that competition feeling mm. um, in the whole environment. I think that there's a certain frame um, the artists play um, in this mm. events and shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which uh, just coming in there, I think it's really interesting because like it's definitely not an even playing field, but I actually no. kind of feel like some of the pavilions that obviously haven't had the same budget or benefit like kind mm. of supporting them have actually had some really strong works this year mm. so yes. like it's actually it's very like and the why it's a bit disappointing the, example, when, the Lithuanians yeah mm. Lithuanian um, just trying to think um, uh, Ukraine's one I imagine would have had a huge budget, huge budget. Um, even Zimbabwe which we'll talk about mm. later but mm. yeah like and yeah. it's interesting we can achieve with yeah. yeah well since we talk about like mentioned pavilion already let's talk about pavilions then do you have a favourite pavilions? Anyone who wants to start? Obviously, this is, you know, everyone's favourite and I feel like it's huge. Maybe it's cliche, I don't know, but I can't get past the Lithuanian pavilion. Mm-hmm. Um, rarely, when all these expectations have been set about how spectacular, how wondrous, how amazing it is, I didn't expect to actually feel that way because more often than not, when such a yeah, it, it, the expectations yeah, you feel like never... it might overrated if like yeah. repeatedly. Like yeah. I remember when I before I came to Venice, already seeing people's Instagram photos and video clips and of the show and rave about how good the show is. And matter of fact, that that, that work won the prize, Golden Line, Golden Line yeah. prize. So. Yeah, and just kind of question, oh, is that really that good? <laughs> you know, before you go to see the shows and, yeah. I was just overcome with emotion. Yeah. Because it somehow perfectly represented and reflected the issues we're having with contemporary, contemporary life and excess. Mm. And the fact that we're just pillaging more and more and more from the land, even though we know it hasn't got much left to offer and that we're jeopardising mm. our lives, really. Mm. And we're all just carrying on as if nothing were happening. Mm. And, you know, to see this beach scene with 20 artists and 20 actors, extras, 
they're all lying on the beach, they're eating, they're listening to music, they're playing with their toys, they're doing everyday things on a beach, but they're singing about the horrors of the world and what we're facing. And it is very emotive, you know, every single person's own solo performance is very, very moving. But when all of the voices join together and the harmony and you've got this perfect note that just somehow makes your eyes start prickling. Yeah, totally. And you realise that we all know how much trouble we're in, unless, of course, you are a climate change denier. But even then, I think on some level, these people also know. We know that we're about to enter into unprecedented climate challenges but when what are we doing like yeah and so to see people just lying on a beach and kids innocent kids playing oblivious because that's the thing it's so real children old older people like a perfect pets perfect slice just captures daily life i totally agree and the the emotion is what's lost and Mm. i think that's the arts purpose Mm. somehow because Mm. even if you don't have that deep level of understanding and even if you don't treat the description Mm. or even if you don't understand the lyrics because you don't Mm. speak English somehow Mm. there's something emotional about it Mm. and transcendent in a way Mm. and I think that's the art beauty that even if you don't understand you get moved Mm. or vice versa Mm. and Uh, yeah, yeah well done with the that they found the perfect location for him and the, <laughs> and it's a free pavilion also. The it's yes, free, yeah. yeah. And all, all of that, you know. Yeah. But so. only 30 people can go at once. <laughs> yeah, they probably uh, get at least 500 people wanting to see it every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah, you have to, if someone's going to go, you have to ready for Nine a long <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll just add one other thing is I think what's interesting is that you say that even if you don't speak English, mm. you, it still connects to you because also music kind of transcends language. Yes, and also because Lena, the artist, she's a violinist first yeah. and then she did a degree in art. Yeah. So she's stuck with what she can do best and she mm. wrote all yeah. the and composed it. And I think that's honesty of the artist who's not maybe mm. pretending to do something contemporary art, but yeah. just looking at herself and saying, I'm a musician and this is what I want to do. And it's mm. art. Yeah. And also a, a poet. Yeah. Mm. Because I think with poetry, often you don't even know, need to know the language either because there's a rhythm and somehow emphasis on certain mm. words and you can just listen to the sound of the poetry as well. Because mm. I think in this, I couldn't understand what they were saying all the time. Mm. Yeah, and then there's a little printed out script on the side and you can read and why listen. Well, I think it's it's interesting because it was Brecht inspired. So somehow there's an acknowledgement of like this Western mm. structure that we're still confined to. Mm. And even though it was like, representing this contemporary issue was it was using such a a structure that isn't contemporary might not be relevant and I also think that is an interesting way to frame it 
for Lithuania, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Embracing the Western and European structure. Yeah. While I, you'd expect something more Eastern European. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't know, like, we're still occupying very old, archaic structures that are no longer relevant. Well, I think, do you think the work can make that relevant again? I think, um, yeah, the one things I found already, when you mentioned culture things like um, East Europe or West Europe, but I think also if you think about class um, um, systems and um, third world countries or Asian part, that, that glimpse of um, everyday life is a very westernized yeah. lifestyle. So in a way, it does have speak one sort of um, particularly class and particularly social yeah. sort of lifestyle. I think I think maybe maybe speak more about middle class. This like a massive global middle class which is in every country. Um, so in in that way, it's quite universal in a way. Um, I agree, and I think it's kind of interesting, like the class that plays out in it, because you have obviously an opera which is high art, which is kind of yeah. how they're singing, but yeah. then you have the beach scene, and a number of the songs play on that kind of different levels of wealth. So you have yes. one song which is yes. about people going on holiday to the Great Barrier Reef and that experience, and then another song which is a workaholic and their experience of like anxiety about performing and. Um, mm. doing these kind of things and then yeah. like a lot of it kind of plays on these ideas of like the holiday and labour and rest and like all Excess. these kinds of and also, and also the new yeah. generation the mm. you know the loneliness and how they confront the new technology mm. I love the twin talk, uh, thing about 3D printing the sisters mm. and yes. the mothers and, yes. and so how I, especially when you read this and listen to this you just kind of know that that kind of future they just sung is there. You can see it. It's coming actually. Um, opera, the the power opera, the powers that kind of particular way of singing, it can really touch your soul, no matter wh which culture you come from, which you know, and that's kind of universal. And yeah, um, and the fact that it is opera, like you say, it elevates it, mm. but it elevates it in the way that you pay attention. Because it is different to what you normally hear. Yeah, it's and it speaks to something subconscious in you that tells you this is serious because it's classical music. Mm. Yes, yes, mm. yes. Cool, anything you want to add on? So, yeah, the Lithuanian Pavilion, which has been curated by Lucia Petrovsky, um, who is actually the curator of ecologies at the Serpentine Galleries. Um, and filmmaker, well, they're a collective called Neon Realism, um, and one member is a filmmaker, Regil Bazivaskate. I'm so sorry, I think we need to learn how to pronounce names in Australian art schools anyways. <laughs> um, and a poet and writer, Lena Lepalit. Oh, by the way, you said they also, you can email them to be part of Extra in the yes. performance. Yes. So that can be yeah interesting. Yes. If someone going to come later, want to be part of the scene, you can email them. And the other note that you said as well is if you are coming here, 
um, arrive at nine o'clock. Um, <laughs> it's only like nine a.m. because yeah, otherwise yeah. you'd be waiting for hours yeah. to get in. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for hours and people in the line get really cranky and yeah. start rioting. So yeah. <laughs> oh, well. yeah. Um, um, yeah, show up earlier and be patient <laughs> and bring some entertaining things with snacks. you in case snacks, snacks yeah. water, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. sunscreen, and maybe music as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Ash, do you have any pavilion would you like to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'll talk about um, the Republic of Zimbabwe. Um, so I had an interesting experience. So I kind of went in there, um, check out the show, and um, obviously, Okwe Mwesa passed away earlier this year, and he was like one of my all-time favorite curators. Um, so I was really interested to see what they were kind of doing this year, and kind of whether there would be any kind of connections to that. Obviously, he passed away quite late, so their show would have been already quite in development. Um, but there was actually um, a Zimbabwean um, curator and the invigilator there were kind of really, really nice, and actually police spoke to them about for probably about an hour. And we got into this really good conversation around um, transnational identities and that as a concept relation, like relating to the show. Um, and so the show was called uh, The Tale Without a Head. Um, and so it had four artists um, in it. Um, and a number of the artists live overseas, but some of the artists also are still based in Zimbabwe. And it was kind of what an African identity is within kind of a globalized context. And we kind of like in this conversation we're sort of talking about what that is and they both kind of expressed like their ideas and talked about like you know certain food culture and also um even just conversations and the curator was saying that he's like he was like oh i'm so glad i've come to this pavilion because i can have a proper conversation and it's not like just like a superficial like you know hi or buongiorno mm. and then like move on it's like he's like you know we're getting really in depth and it's like really interesting and i just thought it was really good and he was talking, I guess, like, the premise of the show is kind of storytelling and how those stories kind of carry through. Um, and, like, coming from, like, um, an Aboriginal family, um, I know how important oral storytelling is. And it was really nice to kind of go into a pavilion that was addressing that as a part of um, the, like, the, like um, as the curatorial um, structure. And so a lot of the works were kind of addressing... I guess how stories sort of accumulate through like an oral telling and sort of build up over time. Um, and so there was um, one really amazing artist, uh, probably pronounced the name wrong, Kazuna Volent uh, Um And she's based in the UK and she was doing these like kind of really interesting paintings that was sort of a combination, a combination of like stories that she'd been hearing like oh that she was kind of taught through her Zimbabwe family but also kind of by her current experiences in the UK um it was like a really interesting kind of like layering of experiences um and then there was also Georgina uh, Maxim um who's a local curator and artist there and she was making these really interesting textile works like kind of these like interesting combinations of kind of like western but also like um, like kind of local materials kind of like woven together and like sort of stitched together and that sort of healing but she sounds like she's doing some really interesting things like runs an artist kind of space there and mm. yeah just, it was really kind of great seeing all these works kind of coming together and telling a really interesting story and it was actually really nice in their catalogue as well like little tribute to um, Okwe and Wazo mm. as well which was really nice to read very touching yeah, yeah. 
I haven't seen that show. I haven't seen it either, but I'd really like to. How yeah. do I get there? <laughs> uh, through the maze. <laughs> um, it's kind of, and it's like, it's like I was saying as well, like that one and Ukraine, like a lot of these countries that obviously they have a big budget, like, you know, they are just works, paintings and um, kind of material sculptures sort of hung in a space. Like, it's not like a huge budget show, but I think it's, you know, it's nice to see you know, the big blockbuster kind of shows here and then, like, you know, some of these smaller ones that are just and actually making it happen. For example, I you might be talking about this, but Bosnia. Mm. It was a very refreshing experience because it was separate from the, from the white noise of all the big mm. blockbuster pavilions and the main places in Venice, you know. It was in quite an isolated mm. location. Mm. But by the time you got there, you were able to engage with the work because it was fairly quiet. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, as you said, that those you know, small pavilions um, don't have a big budget. Maybe because it's the main thing on emphasise on um, theatrical experiences. And there's so many narratives. I think... And then that's what I think this is small pavilion grabbed on because I think each pavilion tell you this amazing story about themselves and identities and the problems they experiences. I think that that voice is so unique. And I just kind of um, also thinking about early um, there was some artists um, telling me this kind of statement, Western tradition art form, which is emphasized on this forms and colors, abstractness, you know, like, um, but somehow it has this colonial sort of, you know, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, those sort of particularly sort of aesthetic and often dominate the whole voices. Mm-hmm. So then the narrative workers, it doesn't, wasn't seem, seemingly encouraged in past. Now I think um, you see so many of this narrative story, I just realised how great it is, like, because I think they... I think that's how small pavilion grab their um, aesthetics, you know, like, and then that kind of aesthetic is really meaningful um, and significant and also unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the cl- uh, uh, collection of those stories is competing with still like a, this dominant, like a Western colonial tradition of art. And I, I just love that kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, the um, Bosnil, the story about people, it's about small people, you know, I, I love mm-hmm. to hear like small people in different countries and it, their struggles and that it's somehow so universal and, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, unique as well. Yeah, love it. Um, but I think that the pavilion I would like to talk about it is um, um, North uh, Macedonia. Uh, just because it's another it's another small pavilion the title of the show called uh, subversion to red um, the pavilion has um, it's a side one so it's on one floor has a uh, three rooms um, when you enter the first room it's quite minimal install it's um, what you see in the first uh, room is uh, uh, like a remain of uh, particular events in the past so it's a desk and then there's a couple of video workers showing um, the event one one event uh, um, took a place 
in UK London, another one took right at that room, but was another day. And then another two rooms um, has a sculpture element. And then sculpture made of like a concrete, it's quite uh, concrete and steels and that kind of forms. And so the events uh, itself is the, I think it's the main content of the show. Uh, the events was the artist invited um, theorist, um, a social sociologist and um, artist uh, sitting on this five, five or six side of table and then um, there's a hole in the middle so they invite those people sit on each side of the table represent their ideas about um, Marxism mm-hmm. and, a, and, and about new leftist sort of ideas and um, so each of them represent their ideas um, and then they can have a discussions and then why they present their idea and this person in the middle of the desk writing taking notes mm-hmm. um, on what he wrote on the table so um, so that's what you see when you enter um, the show is this it's like a red table and the top of the table there's a lots of notes and um, sort of doodlings and um, like a mapping ideas. Yeah, so basically she um, talk about um, how this Marxism relate to today's art life and society and still like how that relate to today's capitalist society. So for this particular event in Venice, um, those speakers are all from all different countries. This is Italian this um, a lady from a US and you know they all um, talk about the particular topics um, so this woman I think probably more related to arts she used to work for museums so she trying to push on um, you know that well she questioned the function of the museum how this invisible labors hours and um, how that get uh, acknowledged and then art and how artists get fair paid and you know it's instead of um, portraying one artist maybe is necessary is considering museum as like culture hub and you know and then that's that idea sort of relate to another guy's uh, saying about common uh, life like common um, life is against this like modernity because uh, industrial revolution commonality between in the society is uh, broken down quite intense um, thing to watch but it is such a beautiful, um, a unique voice in the art to talk about Marxism and lefties and socialist ideas. Because I feel like, because I grew up in China, so um, I'm really familiar with that. But then somehow, um, uh, now I'm living Australia, like this kind of Western society, I feel like traditionally, or majoritarily, um, socialist was portrayed as such an evil um, form and always um, talked in negative way and um, but you don't get fair discussion um, um, and I just love that you know um, through this art artwork and those things just um, merged on the surface and in this kind of quite you know as an art so it's not once you put it as art, it's not as a form, you know, academic debate. There's, there's a, some performative element to it. 
um, interact with those audience because there's audience around the table at the events as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just really, um, we actually, when I was there, artist was there and uh, we had a really lovely discussions about her work and she's really open and she also told uh, me about when she grew up, um, the the socialist st- structure in North Macedonia at that time wasn't called North Macedonia. Was it Yugoslavia? Yugoslavia, and um, she had a really fun memory of it. Um, it's she, sort of a unique. Yugoslavia was a unique type of socialism. Yeah, too. she said the artists at the time had so much freedom and well recognized by the Western society. Mm. So, um, and the, at the time, the artist was really pro-socialist structure. And I feel like um, that kind of personal stories, and a matter of fact that sculpture was also her response to those older famous artworks um, in the 70s or beyond uh, her time. Um, sort of kind of, uh, I don't know, like a re- reference to that particular time and bring that ideas to now and how that um, relevant to now and in that particular discussion on you know the new understanding of leftisms um, yeah and, and just yeah for me it's just um very yeah i think that um you know we said rhythm and theater are common themes throughout but i also think throughout the biennale there are a lot of works that are showing interconnections we all have and sort of i guess not comparing not contrasting but showing that we all cultures sort of bleed into each other and there are relatable facets from all. Mm. Yeah, anyway, I strongly recommend people, if you have time, um, uh, check out that, that pavilion. I think that's definitely very inspiring, like, make you to think. Um, and in all of the smaller pavilions, people actually explain the work. They yeah. greet you, they explain yeah. it. In <laughs> Arsenale, if you look at them, they could kind of scowl at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. If you're lucky, like artists, if the artist there or curators there is the best, like you can yeah. get to straight talk to them and get some inside stories. Yeah. How about you? Do you have any favorite um, pavilions? Yeah, like I have a few favorites. Yeah. But I think I can talk better about the one I'm involved in. Yeah, please do. My favorites are the Belgian, the Spanish, yeah. uh, Zimbabwe, I really like them a lot. And uh, the French, uh, well, the pavilion is more the product of all this journey. Mm. And you can see it once there, so I think I'm not here to rave about it. So I'm going to talk about what was before the pavilion and what mm. we did before. Uh, and I didn't know about Laure or about her artwork before because she barely had one big exhibit in Paris right before the Biennale in the Palais de Tokyo but before she wasn't a very famous artist uh, in France. Mm. So that's very interesting and I think it's um, a brave step of the Minister of the Culture to choose somebody. Can I ask how she was selected? Uh, she got a call from the from the ministry to represent France and usually duos of artists and curators apply with the project and some of them get selected mm-hmm. and Laura told me I thought I would never be selected to represent France because I left France as a teenager and I now I'm 40 and I have my whole career and life in London so and she she doesn't hide the fact that she feels a bit more British than she feels French 
So yeah, I think if they didn't call her, she would have never applied because she would think she would never get it, you know? Yeah. Yes, and uh, what I discovered uh, about her work is more the procedure that she does. Is she was just questioning the whole thing of representation, feeling alien to the system herself and not feeling comfortable maybe with the idea of representing France. So she, all along the way, she's questioning, okay, this is the Biennale I'm representing France, so what is France today? Who are the people who are representing France today? Where are the places that are representing France today? In the Biennale, in Venice, so what is Venice? And what is the Biennale? And what is the French Pavilion? And we shot in all these places. So the people who are representing France are the characters in the movie and are young and old people all together because she insisted on having people from different backgrounds but who live in France, not necessarily who are French themselves. In, for instance, I'm not a French citizen. There's an Australian dancer with us who lives in Paris. She's not a French citizen. There's a Senegalese singer and actor who's not a French citizen, but he lives in Paris. He lives in Paris. And there are some other French citizens with different backgrounds and some other French people with French citizenship. Mm -hmm. So this is the people who are representing France and who are a group of friends going through uh, a road trip through France until Venice and we didn't shot in Paris or in any major city but rather in Nanterre and Grigny and all these cities that are um, Grigny maybe is ranked as the one of the poorest uh, cities in France mm -hmm. altogether and it's uh, very um, and sadly known about um, lots of problems and uh, drug problems and you know so yeah, Lord tried to put all of this in because this is France too, mm. and we found lots of amazing locations in those cities and the the vision, the concrete vision. This is a very very difficult area in that city, which is gangsters and mm. you know, very nobody goes there to admire that sculpture that once. France has this idea project to build in the suburbs sculptures and have social housing for workers and now it turned out completely wrong and it's isolated and people, the young people there don't get any chance mm -hmm. and got into drug trafficking and, you know, problems. And uh, yes, also in the Palais Ideal du Facteur Cheval in the countryside in the middle of France and this was just a, a postman who built this whole stone palace. So with the marching band? Yes. I love that moment. Yes, yes. For his daughter to play and he was very mocked and nobody believes in his work and he would never recognize as an artist. Uh, but that was just for the pure um, pleasure of creating something. And I think for Lord it's important to make art out of the pleasure of creating art and not out of wanting recognition or mm. selling that art somehow just because he has this idea of creating this marvelous palace and he spent his life making it and you know and he did it mm. so it's a, it, a trip paying a tribute to to this school of art making in the person and the location of mm. of, of Factor Cheval mm. and then from there we drove to Marseille uh, but not in the city, r rather on the rocks facing the um, 
the sea, which is also a very important city in France because people from the th south have problems with people from the north and if you are southern French, you are very proud of your southern French, so you're not Parisian and if you are Parisian, you're not southern, but France is still both, so also Lord like insisted on and isn't Marseille, is it the oldest city in France? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> might I be. don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also because of the, now it's uh, the symmetry of modern immigration in the Mediterranean Sea, it's all mm -hmm. Marseille, so it was very important also to represent mm -hmm. this. And from there, we came to Venice and we shot in Venice and Murano and inside the pavilion. So the whole movie is truffled with lots of references and paying tribute to different components that Laura wanted to honor somehow or to question. And finally, she didn't answer the question of the representation. She just questioned everything. And she's narrating and talking and talking about the procedure and uh, what she did, basically, mm. and representing it. Mm. And at some point in the video, she there's somebody swinging in the middle of the pavilion and she said we were thinking what we could show you I wanted to put two massive boobs on the top floor pouring milk on everybody because her <laughs> latest biggest show was with lots of fountains made of boobs and that's what people would expect from her <laughs> but finally there was no boobs and no, nothing happening she, it actually was just the, yeah. as she says, the road is the trip, so, <laughs> and it was the road mm. trip, and she just presented it, and I thought that was very smart and brilliant, mm. and also knowing her personally, I think it's also natural for her, because for a very smart person who's also slightly shy, so she's always avoid avoidant, but like in an interesting way, mm. and yeah, and I, and, yeah. and I would also like to highlight the importance of the work of the curator because lots of things she was involved from A to Z and there was a lot wow. of trust between them and mm. that made the, the work I think more interesting and also I don't know it's worth mentioning the production and all the people who made it possible by advance, advancing the expenses until the sponsors were, were, were found because we started shooting in November and mm. by that time we didn't know if they would have enough budget Wow. But the, the producer were, were covering everything needed and finally when they got the sponsors, they got their money back. So wow. that's very interesting to mm. talk about today. Uh, we were talking about budget and small pavilions yeah. and all of that. So yeah. Because it's mm. sort of something that isn't considered. You just assume Venice, big bucks. Yeah. But behind the scenes, so many yeah. struggles. There yeah. Are. yeah. Lithuania had struggles. Yeah. They had yeah. to crowdfund. Because they, you are representing this nation, the idea of nation you assumed, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the government would give you good budget, but actually, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I think, um, I, I think that's probably common things in many government mm -hmm. that in terms budget, the arts always come to the last and then the small portion from spots and <laughs> other, you know. I have to say, Australia really mm. does look after people in Venice mm. though. That's the other thing which is quite interesting. Like yeah. so obviously you'll hear eventually how the support of the Australian government because we met some on the pavilions that are struggling to find invigilators for oh, their yeah. pavilions because yeah. like the government isn't supporting or there isn't any funding voice to even 
helps you know someone stay in Venice to in, invigilating is so critical mm. it really is critical in terms of people understanding the work mm. feeling safe and comfortable in the space mm. and it is incredible how many pavilions haven't considered invigilating haven't respected mm. invigilating or the invigilators and you can tell mm. as soon as you walk into the space you feel like they don't want you there. Mm. They're not willing to explain anything. And it is, or they just it, don't know. Or they just don't know, yeah. And so I think when I go to other pavilions, I do feel quite proud of the Australian pavilion mm. because everyone, you know, the my team, they're so enthusiastic. They've really learnt so much about the work since they've been here. Mm. And for them... Explaining the work to people is actually something they really enjoy mm. because it is so multi-layered mm. and there are so many things to unpick and unpack. Mm. Mm. I was going to say, do you, um, um, when you work on French Pavilion, do you um, explain things to people? Yes, or? I do, but, but then uh, if people come and ask me questions, obviously I talk to them about the project, yeah. but like, I can't explain to everybody yeah, yeah, randomly yeah. unless yeah. if... We are, we are warned about a certain visit or a certain group of people who need somebody to explain. Mm. But like any visit, you know, but sometimes people don't recognize somebody just because they just saw it in a video yeah. and stuff. But most of the time when people Because I feel like me, French, um, it's quite complex um, architecture space. You got, because yes. the entrance is a basement. You have to go up and yeah. on the up, there's so many rooms yeah. and there's yeah. so many, so, I feel like almost each level there was individual. You needed some individualizer. Totally. In, yeah, totally. and your invigilation is yes. very good as well. Mm. But talking about budget limitations, yeah. ideally you would have a person in every room, but mm. that doesn't happen all the time. Mm. So most of the time, I'm at the door telling people that the entrance is from the mm. other side, mm. and. Uh, there, there must be somebody at the other door and somebody on the resin room, somebody mm. in the movie. And mm. yeah. yeah, ideally we would have more people working and working on that and trying to mm. find more solutions. Because often yeah. artists don't consider yeah. what it will take to run the mm. exhibition. Mm. And so, yeah, it is interesting when yes. suddenly a project blows out Mm-hmm. The budget can just blow out by these really tiny things that you don't exactly. get. Exactly, and like the French Pavilion, like the aesthetics of it, I think maybe people would be more inclined to interact with objects, but some of these objects look really fragile. Yeah, and like I'd be and, like, and some of them are dangerous on the floor yeah. because there's, I think, um, a glass sculpture that is slightly broken and mm. if you touch it it could cut you even mm. if it doesn't show from the fire mm. so yeah so in the resin room there's a person constantly telling people then they can touch yeah. especially children and yeah, yeah and but, but i think in the lore's um ideal is if people get lost a little bit it's not a problem and people are encouraged to use their phone light to go through the pavilion mm. It's okay, because it's quite dark. Yeah, it's not yeah. interrupting the show. There's a, a, a big tapestry, and mm-hmm. at some moments in that room, it's pitch dark, so you don't see anything. So you can look with your exactly. phone, and you can also play with the 
glass sculpture put in light and then it gets a beautiful blue reflection on the wall it's fine mm. we sort of we have someone in the video room mm. scanning the room and if anyone looks like they need a little help we have a torch that we sort of mm. flick on at their feet just to show them the way out mm. yeah we yes. just say an interesting experience that me and seeing had so when we first entered the g thingy we wanted to be lined straight for the australian pavilion and we cut around the slide, not knowing they had to enter into yeah. France from the back. And as we were kind of heading, we could see these trampolines there. And um, one of the French um, invigilators yeah. kind of got us. He's like, oh, come to the French pavilion. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> and so we got snatched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was, it was actually yeah. a really nice spot. The tentacle of the octopus. <laughs> yeah. <that's okay. laughs> it was really actually, nice. our pavilion is based on the metaphor of an octopus. Mm-hmm. So the main room is the head of the octopus and the other rooms are the tentacles. Tentacular yeah. thinking. Yes. Because like um, Laura was pretty um, fascinated by the this creature of the octopus and it appears in her last video because mm-hmm. it's one of the species who have uh, intellectual and sensorial uh, organs all together. So it mm-hmm. touches and thinks in the meantime. It doesn't have a brain, a central nervous system as we do. Mm-hmm. Evolutionary research shows that we all somehow evolved from jellyfish and octopus and went out, mm-hmm. but the octopus and jellyfish were very happy with their state of <laughs> thinking and touching in the meantime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's a very Is smart it also the process. mist? I remember like yes. when I first, um, this, there's a, there's yes. a part of show, isn't Yes, it? totally. Ah. It's a cooling system for global warming. It's the, the, the Lord's show, it's about identity and who we are, but it's also about the question in the state of the planet. And mm-hmm. if you see in the resin room, the, everything is dead and melting. And, and in yeah. the video, there are a few references to it, yeah, it's with the, the trash and the non existence of a certain species, and yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, time is ticking. <laughs> I have to wrap it up, sorry. Maybe quickly. Um, uh, tell listeners some um, shows you like to recommend um, people to go. Yeah, um, I can't even touch the name of it. The show at the Pontadella, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Um, Time Future at Back, I thought was really really good. Yeah. There's a very good work in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Gun Gun. Yeah, their show was actually yeah. really. And that's incredible. in Arsenali. Yeah, and um, that's their first pavilion, and it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Future Generation Art Prize is worth checking out. Mm. And also in that last cycle's Future Generation Art Prize, a number of the artists have appeared in the Venice Biennale this year. Um, Ibrahim Mahama being one of them who's representing Ghana this year. Mm. So that's worth checking out because who knows where those people will be next. Mm. Um, I really, really liked the Yanis Kunelis show at the Prada Foundation. Mm. I thought that was spectacular. Um, and the venue itself worked really well in mm. demonstrating the departure from tradition. Mm. And yeah, the work itself has the same um, rhythm and poetry as a lot of the other work. The works almost have a, a sound that emanates from them. And um, you can really see traces of this body of work in contemporary art. Mm. Sort of, yeah, so I think that's a nice accompaniment. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about you? Would you uh, like to... Uh, John Jonas? Oh, uh, uh, yes, yeah. John Jonas. John Jonas, yes. 
Yeah. I, I really like it a lot and uh, it's, it's beautiful. Cool. And also there's a Museo de Licona something which has nothing to do, it's just a museum that I like to see. Yeah, the sure. And yeah. It's free and it has uh, lots of mid, mid ages uh, maps and. Yeah, you know, fascinating. A bit very Venetian and there's a beautiful church. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. really good. Yeah, yeah. I need to see something like yes. this. Yeah, yeah. Maps, um, maps to pilgrimage. In no, the it's interesting. Yeah, Actually, it's interesting. I think the history in Venice, because yeah. we're here for Venice Biennale, of mm -hmm. course, but sometimes those uh, Venice itself, the history we kind mm -hmm. of I don't have time to get to, or yes. you know, have to skip. But actually. They have really fascinating stories. Yeah, I would like to recommend this um, site show called um, Parasol Unit. Um, it's a site show not far from um, Azerbaijan. Um, it's a beautiful group show. Um, but there's a few um, standing out um, artworks I feel like people should check out. Um, and also, yeah, same um, Pontadella um, show and Bosnia Pavilion, please check it out. Um, and um, yeah, um, there's so many good shows. And okay, um, before we end, a lot of things. Um, do you guys want to plug in any events that you're involved in? near future uh i'm yeah i'm working on a, a group show in paris in upcoming october yeah yes. october and do you know the title of the show um not yet it's in discussion but it's about languages and uh, yeah um, museum of immigration oh beautiful in paris, yeah yeah in the hall of the museum of immigration yep yeah. yep I have a little wall. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Um, you will be in there, that's the main thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if people will be in Paris around October, check out that show. Yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah um, I've got a show in Florence for one that's actually on because I was on in about a week, a week and a half. Um, it's only on for one day. So there's a version of that going, like an even bigger version of that going to be shown in Melbourne at the end of July. Um, I think it's to coincide with the open house um, and it's where it's through Great. Melbourne Uni and it's the first commissions project where they've commissioned 31 artists, I think, who are recent graduates to produce new works um, and they'll be shown in the uh, Octagon for local people yep. and um, I can't remember the name of the theatre space that's next door. Um, but yeah, that'll be for open house. Yeah. Uh, can th is it this information about the show uh, I online? I think it'll be online in about a week. So okay. probably yep. the start of July, I'm sure there'll yep. be information. Online. And your show, the information will be online as well. People can check out yes, more yes, details. Yes, um, yeah. yes. It's, it's going to be um, included in the programmation of the Festival of Autumn in Paris. And then, yeah, it's going to be... Um, included there with the information online. Okay, cool. And we have a few shows at Arab Gallery Tema. You can check out if you're interested. Um, yeah. Exhibition by an artist called Hannah Gartside. Mm -hmm. That's opening um, uh, when I get back from Venice. Let me think what date that is. <laughs> July. I think it's the 20th of July. Yeah. Um, that's opening and her work is wondrous. Yeah. She um, appropriates garments mm. into these magnificent sculptures and I think, yeah, it'll be wonderful. 
All right, let's finish. Um, thanks so much for everyone uh, sharing your experiences. And um, yeah, let's um, say goodbye now. The soundtrack used in this podcast is created by Marcel Fairfay. The graphic is designed by Emmanuel Rodriguez. Thank you.